0: What is up, guys? My name is Raul Nazario, and I am your co-host of the Sharpest Shell podcast. This is episode one. Oh, no, it's just episode one. Um, Episode one. Yep. And here with me, I have Kelly Bradley. Hey, Kelly. How you doing?
1: Hey, Raul. How are you today?
0: (laughs) Evidently poofy and fat is what what I'm being (laughs)
1: told by the team. (laughs) You know... I, dude, I'm. So, I
0: don't do guilt, so don't even. <laughs> just, just. Um, yeah, so doing doing all right, um, guys. Welcome to the Sharpest Shell Podcast. Um, my name is Rowan Nazario. I am the CEO of Sharp Shell Solutions, um, and Kelly is our SVP. the The purpose of the the conversation today is really is really just to talk about marketing, marketing news, digital marketing, and and things like that, Um, you know, and and getting some information out there into the broader stratosphere of uh, business development and everything like that. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy. This is going to be a a series. We're going to be posting these videos weekly and actually kind of moving forward we were thinking that we would live stream uh these conversations just it would make things easier (laughs) everybody's a little busy um but with that being said kelly why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um i'll i'll introduce myself here in, in a little bit
1: so, Roll, uh, as you know, uh, I've been in marketing, then I probably most of the members on our team combined have been alive. Um, I started uh, in marketing and advertising uh, back before fax machines in the late 1970s, early 1980s. I've managed to start writing keep up pterodactyls. My <laughs> yes, writing pterodactyls uh, through the streets of DC to advertise uh, the new DC lottery. Um, Anyway, so managed to keep up my skills, um, networking, business development, marketing, all of these things combined. uh, And the ultimate thing is I really have a passion for helping people to grow their business. Um, And so that's a little bit about me at this point. All I'm right. sure you'll learn more as these podcasts progress. Well, that's that's
0: book. <laughs> that's kind of the idea. Um, so for for everybody who doesn't know me, my name is Raul Nazario. Um, you know, I have a really eclectic background, to say the least. I've uh, been a Central Florida business leader for the better part of uh, two decades now it is a little less. But, you know. Uh, did a lot of work uh, in contingent workforce and contingent labor, um, were, was doing that for about a decade, um, I actually was an expat, uh, managed uh, quite a few offices out of uh, Stockholm, Sweden in Europe. Um, and then just kind of moved over to innovation, um, new processes and procedures, global technology launches, technology, um, innovation, et cetera. Um, and then moved over to uh, a, a small human human capital management company called ADP, right? <laughs> largest human capital management company in the world. Dealt with their largest clientele um, implementing new um New, new projects, uh, new clients, and uh, getting them onto that platform until ultimately uh, managing uh, account managers in the uh, um, kind of the Northeast market. So up in, in New York, New Jersey, uh, et cetera. So uh, really eclectic background. Do have my marketing degree here from the uh, University of Central Florida uh go nights, right? You gotta rep them. Uh, and that that kind of wraps some things up here. Now we we started Sharpshell uh, specifically as a response to what was going on with the pandemic. So um started Sharpshell in 2021, so towards the tail end of what was going on with lockdowns, etc um and uh, effectively the idea of the organization was always to uh, kind of democratize the tools and technology and business processes that are being used by much larger organizations and democratizing that for our small businesses um one of the things we found was that uh, we had a lot of local small businesses going out of business very specifically not because they couldn't stay alive uh, but simply because they attempted to uh, um, continue doing what they were doing before Um, there was a failure to pivot to um, attaining their clientele digitally um, and so we wanted to make sure to do our part to help out the community and, and help out our small businesses by empowering them with the the tools and technologies necessary to not only allow them to survive, but to thrive in this new environment. Um, and man, is this environment getting tricky <laughs> now, um, mm-hmm. especially with everything that's going on in the economy today.
1: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of that messaging um, should continue to be that, yes, we're entering into a recession, um, and typically your marketing budget is the first thing to go um, when the economy turns downward. And it actually will cost you more money uh, in the long run if you, if you cut your marketing budget in times of economic downturn, because then you have to start from zero all over again. Um, if you continue to market and continue to be top of mind, your business will survive Um, if you cut your marketing budget, um, there's a really good chance that your business won't survive economic downturn. Oh yeah. I mean, and and you see it time and
0: time again, right? Whenever, whenever there's an, whenever there's an economic downturn or or something along those lines, the the marketing budget's the first thing to go, um, which is really interesting because especially if you know that that's what all of your competitors are doing, um, right it only makes sense to to remain top of mind and and keep pushing your brand and your message out there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a little, I, I never understood that. I I never understood also the, the thought process of I'm not making a, a ton of money so I can't afford marketing. Marketing is like one of the only things that you can spend money on where when you put in a dollar, you expect two back. Right. So I just, I, I've never understood marketing should never be a, a a cost center for for an organization at least not if it's being done right right
1: correct and and I've been you know on <laughs> I've, I've been like you start as soon as you start to hear economic issues pressures you know and the the ceo because i usually have always reported to the top dog in most agencies or most organizations oh, I've man. Been in. You,
0: you forgot to brush off your shoulder when you said that
1: <laughs> and, uh, you, you get, but you get that phone call right or, or you get that you know can you come into my office please you just know okay so where are the cardboard boxes i'm i'm packing up uh you know economic tight belt tightening means marketing goes out the window so i've been there done that and there have been a lot of organizations that have not survived after that. So, um, I mean, it, yeah.
0: it's only natural, right? I mean, it, that's basically saying you can't run fast enough, so I'm going to cut off my legs. right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense in, in a lot of instances, but um but, I mean, the, the entire point of the organization, Kelly, uh, you can uh, also kind of speak to that, is exactly that, to, to help our, our community uh, and the small businesses within our community grow, um, utilizing kind of strategies and tools and tactics and everything like that, that um, the larger organizations are so that you can run faster than, than the, the competition out there. Um, and so we, within the the time frame in which we've been open, um, we we actually are now award winning, or we have been for um, for the year um, best marketing my company. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll add it in post uh, <laughs> the best marketing company of 2021 uh, for the South Lake Chamber. Um, and we're just going to continue to grow. Now, a lot of that is relationship based. A lot of that is is just based off of what we do and the fact that we're marketing fiduciaries. But um, I did want to introduce. Oh, the, please
1: yeah. explain that to our audience who doesn't understand.
0: Well, so Martin, so if you understand the concept of a fiduciary, right? A fiduciary is somebody who is uh, legally obliged to act in your best interest, right? Um, and so one of the things that we see a lot in in the marketplace now, um, let me go ahead and dismiss this five minutes left. Cause there's definitely more than five minutes left in this. Uh, one of the things that we see often in the marketplace, and it's unfortunate cause I didn't actually like realize this when I, when I entered this, uh, this field specifically, um, there's a lot of snake and snakes in the water <laughs> out here and some malicious, uh, some just ineptitude, right? Like, it's just, some people just don't know what what they're what they're doing. They saw somebody on YouTube in front of a green Lambo, kind of talking about marketing, saying you can too, and they decide that that's the field that they're going to hop into. Um, but effectively, our our agency acts in your best interest. Um, not that I want to make this all about SharpShell. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the entire idea of the organization is to act in your best marketing interest, not whatever makes me or the organization the most amount of money. So, uh, to my accountants, dismay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and to your employees and to my no, employees. We, yeah. And, <laughs> and and honestly, I think that's really the best way to go because like you mentioned, a, the success that we've had thus far has been based on the relationships that we've built, oh, yeah. not, not because we're turning over clients. And if you've got an agency or you're talking to somebody and they talk about how many clients they've had in the last year, you need to ask them about churn, you know, uh, how many of your clients are still with you You know, after a year? How many of your clients are still with you after six months? Um, a lot of our clients are, are long-term clients and we're, you know, signing new clients and we want them to be with us for the next year or two years, what have you. Um, and, and that's, what's important is building those relationships. Um, because anybody can do hit and miss marketing, right? Yeah. But no no lie. Right. And, and and a lot of people are out there trying to do that. Um, what is it that you say, role that you treat all of our clients? Like they've just come out of a bad relationship.
0: (laughs) 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 We we have to, right. We, we have to do that.
1: Because a lot of them feel that way. They're like, well, the last marketing company did this. Well, we're not your last marketing company. We want to be your omega. We want to be the last marketing company you ever work with because we want to be here long term.
0: And and it's pretty um, self serving too. Like if you really think about it, right? People don't forget who make them their money. And you hear me say that, yeah, I I say that all the time. So like if we're if we're the one making you your money, chances are you're gonna stick with us, right? So um, well, we
1: we can hope. Yeah,
0: we can hope. So Kelly, like, what? Tell us a little bit about yourself personally outside of like the, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, out, uh, outside of your the realm of business. Okay,
1: so what do you want to know? Um, I'm old. i uh, been in marketing for a very <laughs> long time. Uh, oh, here's something interesting that most people, people who've known me for a long time know, but most people who don't know me newly. Um, I've had my motorcycle ind- endorsement on my driver's license since I was 16 years old. My first car was a motorcycle. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. Cool i drove it to high school and um and whenever i get my driver's license renewed they're like do you want to keep your motorcycle endorsement and i'm like yeah (laughs) why would i want to drop that yeah um and right now i've got my eye on those um oh the three-wheelers the ones that have the two wheels in the front can am the can am so bad i i would love to have one of those um but living in raleigh where stop signs are suggestion and red lights are just kind of a passing thought um, you know, I'm a little concerned about that. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: I, my mom had a Can Am. Those things are a, super cool. She did end up selling it. She called it Tinkerbell. Um, she <laughs> she loved it. It was white with like pink seats and stuff like that. She thought she was so hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine won't
1: be pink. Uh, no, I'll just tell you that. No, something
0: something tells me right.
1: can um, be like it'll be like black and green with holographic whatever and have some some kind of a dragon's
0: name. Screaming (laughs) skulls or something along the others, right? Um, Me on my end, I mean, I'm a a father of two. Um, I actually have somewhat of a Newborn, I guess he's not an infant anymore, right? At five months, he's
1: still too an infant.
0: Yeah, is that is that how the the,
1: he's he's not an he's an infant until he can walk until he can walk.
0: Okay, so yeah, so he's he's not he's not walking, he's not walking yet Mm for for better, uh, not even for worse, because I do have my four year old that is uh, definitely tearing some stuff up. But I I'm pretty sure it's uh, evident that I got my my little pups right back there. That's Chewbacca. He's just kind of chilling out in the back. Um, and if
1: you watch, occasionally he licks the pillow that Raul puts his head on. I, yeah, I get <laughs> I get
0: pretty upset on that. Um, you know, big, biggest hobbies, and you don't, like, see this a lot from, from owners of organizations and whatnot, or at least they don't telegraph it, but I'm a big nerd. I'm a big gaming nerd. Um, so I'm pretty sure you'll see that in the background. It's all right. You guys will... Um, you guys will hopefully enjoy the the background. If not, I'll I'll throw a blur or something on it, like down the line. Um, but yeah, just, you know, spending family uh, time with family, friends, uh, hanging out, and gaming—those are kind of like my biggest things on on the back end. When I'm not like vegging out and kind of like nerding out on this marketing stuff, right? So, all right, so um, Kelly, why don't we kind of roll into the news a little bit here? Um, So I'm going to switch us. Yeah, go ahead.
1: So before we go there, you you forgot to um, introduce our other team member that's with us today.
0: Well, we do have our producer, Kiana, in the background, um, but she's in a loud and noisy environment right now. So she's not going to she's not going to actually unmute. But in in the future, she might be. Maybe she'll bring her headset in one day. Quite frankly, she I I can see her right now, right now. um, And she's looking at this through her phone and all I see is her head because she can't hear us. It's so loud over there. So,
1: it, and she's laughing and so. she's
0: laughing hysterically. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so every once in a while you guys might hear Kiana kind of chime in as the, um, uh, what, omni um, uh, oh, man, I can't say it. Uh, omnipotent, right?
1: Yes. Um, yeah,
0: I, I said it right. Good. A uh, voice in, in, in the background. <laughs> the disembodied. Um, no, not even a disembodied head, just a background voice. So um, all right. So let's uh, let's roll into some news here. Uh, this news here comes from social media today. So evidently, TikTok is launching a free education series for for a small business. Yes, Yes, um, and
1: they're actually targeting small businesses for this program, um, and they're doing it as a way to expand their platform into business users. They're trying to siphon off business users from, say, LinkedIn and, and some of the other platforms. Um, it's a six-week course um, designed to help users and educate users on how to launch their businesses to the next level using TikTok as a business-promoting platform. And it's an email-based series, um, kind of interested to see how that would work. It's called Follow Me, uh, and it's going to provide an overview of best practice notes, including how to set up a free business account, how to use TikTok Creative Center for content inspiration, and explains, um, uh, and, and it's also um, explanations and things on TikTok's ads manager and other promotional features. So it sounds like it's, you know, pretty in-depth, and it's looking like they're, they're trying to, you um, branch out beyond the uh, skateboard fails and, uh, you know, some of the, the, the world's most painful videos and, 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 you know, dance challenges and stuff into actual, into the actual business arena, which I think is pretty interesting. It
0: it is interesting. Um, So what is especially interesting is that TikTok's algorithm actually is really good for local small businesses. So like they favor, uh, local content over mm-hmm. other content so it actually checks proximity
1: um, absolutely and we can talk more about that when we get into the um, the article about Instagram changing their algorithm because that actually ties into what we've just talked about so yeah, yeah.
0: It, it definitely does and um, and so, I mean, TikTok's usually a pretty good platform. It's still um, still one of the, the platforms that has the least amount of kind of competition in a business arena, which presents itself with a great opportunity. Now, along those lines, there's kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, just with what is kind of going on with the regulators, um, a, et cetera, right? I mean, who knows how long TikTok is even going to be allowed in the United States. Exactly. Um, so, yes,
1: a, there are a lot of big concerns about that. And there's a lot of um, chatter in, in the political houses um, about uh, whether or not TikTok should even, like you said, be allowed. Um, to be a social media platform because of the ties to to China and the the opportunities to hijack data and stuff like that.
0: Well, I mean, they they've actually been caught with with mm-hmm. that data, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. Now, the I would say that well, I would
1: say, interesting. I would say that it's.
0: Well, concerning. yeah, it's definitely concerning. <laughs> well, and, and they would say that here in the U.S. that it's it's walled off. The data is. But like let's 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 be honest. Right. Let's be honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. What exactly is happening over there? Right. So, um, I mean, I would. TikTok just can't be your only channel strategy. No. Um no. It, If you put all of your eggs in the TikTok basket, you might burn fast and hot, right? Um, There's a huge possibility that you do some really great things on TikTok. um, But there's always the risk that all of that hard work will go away immediately, um, almost without notice if the regulators
1: get their hands around TikTok right now. Well, and, and here's the other concern, role. When you're looking at, at TikTok um, and you're looking to produce content for TikTok, it's a process. It's not like, oh, hey, I'm just going to film a 30-second video with my phone and call it good. If you're looking to to promote and showcase your business, in and didn't you say TikTok just extended – Um, It's video length. Yeah, so TikTok
0: is is going towards um, uh, becoming a more mature uh, platform, and you see this in in the life cycle of basically every social media platform that has had any relevance in the last decade. Um, is that they start off as a content creator focused platform because they need the users to advertise their platforms, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, they start off as a content creator first platform, um, sometimes with great discovery tools, sometimes they fumble that, um, you see that a lot with Twitch and, and, and others because Twitch is just now starting to try to catch up, uh, with discovery, um, and so as they as they start to mature and they have enough users on the platform, uh, uh, enough people creating content on the platform, um, it starts to become more of a a. a kind of a content distribution platform. Um, you see that with Twitter. You see that with Facebook. And uh, to a lesser degree, but still occurring at the moment, you see that with Instagram kind of moving in that direction.
1: So what is the – so did you say that the, the, video, the video length now is 10 minutes?
0: So with that being said, they've been – marching the video limits from their initial 60 seconds. They marched it up to three minutes and they marched it up to 10 minutes earlier this year. I want to say that happened around March. Um, And that's just a signal of, yeah, well, I mean, that's just a signal of them maturing the platform.
1: Absolutely. Right. So the point that I'm trying to get to, and I, and I wanted to bring up that extended timeframe for those videos is now you're having to, create more polished or produced looking videos in order to captivate those audiences. Um, it's not just a, you know, quick, a quick shot of something happening and then, um, and they're going to want to see an open, they're going to want to see, um, you know, some other content, you know, kind of like a story develops. So unless you're in the business of creating video content, um, going to that TikTok platform to promote your business um, without being prepared for the kind of preparation that goes into it and the amount of production values that you need to have, it could be detrimental rather than beneficial.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's true when you're looking at your content strategy across the board. Um, Like, you, you really have to have a couple of things in mind when you're thinking about what you want to do on any given channel, um, specifically you need to understand the audience that lives there. Um, and what your goal for a piece of content is, uh, creating content and just letting that content live wherever you want it to live. Um, is not the appropriate way to go about this, right? You need to understand the audience that's there or at the very least understand who you're targeting with that piece of content, right? Like there isn't, uh, currently there isn't a huge demographic of kind of B2B salespeople or anything like that on TikTok, which might present itself as an opportunity for you to be like the first one, right? But then you still need to gear your content towards that audience and have realistic expectations
1: to that. Right. Right. Because bad content will drive people away. Just like really, really good content will draw people in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, hopefully people are still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Kind of listening to that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really interesting. This whole TikTok journey is is interesting. It's underpriced attention. Um, Gary Vee will say that all the time. Um, and he's not wrong, right? It's It's when people are still making fun of a platform. Um, when the largest opportunities present themselves, once you're up there in, in the stratosphere and you're, you know, the platform is a Facebook or a Google or anything like that, they're the big ones in town. They can, they can do whatever they want. And then on top of that, man, does it get pricey and start getting uh, expensive and your visibility starts to tank, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. as these platforms mature. So, uh, just something to consider when we're kind of thinking about um, moving in
1: or kind of thinking about your
0: your TikTok strategy in general.
1: Expanding into TikTok could be a good thing, but you need to be prepared for that expansion. And you need to have the right mindset uh, and, and the right content to be able to expand yeah. onto that platform. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of TikTok content, Instagram is now changing their algorithm to combat reposted TikTok content. So I thought this was really interesting. Um,
0: I think it's late. I've been wondering what's been holding them well, up on something like this.
1: Well, you know, maybe they hope that TikTok would go away and it hasn't, <laughs> so now they're having to do something. You know, if we ignore it long enough, maybe it'll go away. And as we all know, that that never works. No. Um, so meta-owned Instagram is essentially changing its algorithm to boost original Instagram-hosted content over TikTok-produced videos that have been taking over the Instagram social media platform. The new algorithm will feature new product tags and user category features, a new ranking system that boosts photos and reels made on Instagram across user feeds and their explore page recommendations. So basically what they're doing is they're saying, okay, if you've made it on Instagram, we're gonna promote it, we're going to share it, we're going to have more eyes on it. If you're reposting from somebody else, uh, not so much. So Instagram is currently beta testing a used template, Um, It's a feature of reels that replicates edit and format touches from other videos. And Instagram aggregators will also be targeted and the algorithm will value creators over aggregators and then ranking originality over shared content. So if you're posting things that are original and they're being created on Instagram, um, you're going to get some good visibility. If you are reposting from somewhere else or you're lifting video and sharing it um, and you're using that as a strategy, um, the impressions and the distribution on that will be significantly less according to what they're saying about their way that they're staging this new algorithm.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I'm confused only because I thought that something like this should have already been in the works with them. Uh, As a, a platform holder giving a spotlight to a competitor and a competitor's content just simply does not make a ton of sense. So it's it's good that Meta, at least from a platform perspective, is starting to, to wake up to that. And well, the, the reason like so think about it, right? So it the way that they had it set up before they made it so that it makes more sense to make it on on TikTok and then move it over to Instagram. Um, right. This, ideally for Instagram and for, for Meta, the, the idea is to shift that back to Instagram and maybe they reverse that equation, right? Right, because,
1: because what was happening was is if it had a significant following on TikTok and a significant number of shares as it moved over to Instagram, then it got bumped and it got pushed out even even more and then the aggregators would pick it up and it would go viral right so what they're doing now is trying to cut that off at the knees and making content that is created on instagram and first posted to instagram priority and they're actually going to be this thing that they're beta testing they're going to be looking at content that was created. Uh, like like content? Have we seen these faces elsewhere? There's a whole lot that kind of goes into this, but essentially, they're gonna be combing that content for bits, pieces, and shared uh, items that maybe originally aired on TikTok. Um, so like if you just put like a an opening, then a TikTok video and then a closing, They're going to still see that as a shared TikTok video because they know that it originated on TikTok and it's been appearing elsewhere. So what they're trying to do is get people to use Instagram as their creative platform and abandon TikTok in that way. And, you know, maybe we're going to see a trend go the other way moving forward where stuff is being created on Instagram and then being shared to TikTok. Who knows? Who knows how this is all going to work out?
0: This is also decisively anti-content creator. So, I mean, it's removing, uh, some of the agency that you would have as a content creator. If you're, if you're looking at Instagram to be a, a, uh, platform that you use. Um, so I, it's definitely interesting. I'm wondering, um, how things will go with that and whether or not people would just go, you know what? I'm just not going to use Instagram. Then if I'm not going to get the visibility, like there, there's a possibility that this actually backfires on, on Instagram.
1: On, absolutely. Especially as like for those, those agencies that use, uh, some of the social media posting services and things like that. And maybe they're posting duplicates on Facebook and duplicates on TikTok and duplicates on Instagram. And then they take a look and their impressions on Instagram are down because Instagram's algorithm is viewing that as a duplicate or shared post, not originally created on Instagram. And so they're not distributing it. And people are like, so then what's the point? Then what's why, the point? Why like, am I why doing are, this? Why are right. we even doing this?
0: Exactly? So the, there's a large, odd possibility. So I'm, I'm going to be watching this pretty closely because there is the possibility that this completely backfires on, on
1: it's a, it's a big, it's definitely a big risk on their part. And you have to kind of wonder, did they do a risk analysis on no. that particular, <laughs> no, on that particular uh, <laughs> avenue of, of possibility fail? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because again, agencies like ours use those content distribution sites um and that helps us to do our jobs better. You know, it, it, so you, is, that going to, is that going to be something that they're going to make allowances for? Or is it literally going to, to kill um, business pages uh, on Instagram? So
0: one thing that I've noticed as a trend with, with a lot of these platforms is that when platforms take major anti-creator actions... The platform is who suffers. So I, I, I'll give an example of Twitch, right? So Twitch, if you become before and they they're now starting to tweak this, right? within the last month. Um, but for the longest time, if you became a, a, a Twitch affiliate, um, you actually signed a, an agreement under terms and conditions that says that you can't you cannot broadcast your stream, Uh, anywhere but Twitch first. Hmm. So like uh, utilizing something like Restream or StreamYard or or, uh, um, even Streamlabs that can syndicate a stream uh, across multiple platforms, that was actually against their terms of service if you became an affiliate with Twitch. And so what what ended up happening is that you had all these people who went, yeah, but Discovery is better on YouTube. And so what I've seen in the past year is actually an exodus of people not signing those agreements, not becoming a Twitch affiliate, and then streaming on on YouTube and on on Twitch, you know, because the larger the potential base for the audience, the better. Right. And so I, it, it makes you wonder um, if a move like this will have more detriment on
1: Instagram uh in the long term. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're just gonna have to kind of keep an eye on that and see. Um and 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 just take a look at it because it's uh it's definitely something that can affect um not only businesses like Sharpshell, but those companies that are doing their own social media and have been good and get have been Seeing good distribution rates on uh, Instagram, um, it, it could it could have an effect on them as well.
0: No, it it definitely can. So, yeah, let's. we're going to be watching this space very closely, especially because it affects a lot of the work that we do, right? Um, Absolutely. Especially with our clientele. So Absolutely. We're, we're definitely going to be paying attention. All right. Is it, is it time to talk? Of, uh, we'll briefly talk about this, but um, it, it, we have yeah. to just because it's everywhere. Right? Because
1: it's everywhere. We just you know briefly about it. It's It's complex. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And, of course, we're talking about Elon Musk. Okay. So... Elon Musk, as you've probably heard, he wants to back out of the deal to purchase Twitter because bots, oh, scary bots, right? The deal was struck originally at $44 billion, which works out to about $54.20 a share. And it's currently on hold while Elon and his team look into Twitter's accounting of how many users are bots or spam accounts. Twitter has publicly revealed that less than 5% of daily users see spam or bot generated ads, but cautioned that it could be higher. Musk is flat out disputing these figures. He doesn't have any evidence of this, but he is disputing those figures. He believes that 20% or more accounts could be fraudulent. Twitter has given Musk access to its, they call it the fire hose of public data. Mm-hmm. And spam estimates are based on IP addresses, phone numbers, behaviors, and addresses, and they could be difficult for outsiders to verify with any certainty. So in addition to this wonderful NPR article you know that we've pulled information from. The Washington Post is also reported on Thursday, July 7th, that the transaction was in jeopardy because Musk feels the figures from Twitter are not verifiable. So this is leading Musk's team to, quote unquote, take drastic action. The original offer for $54.20 a share for Twitter, um, which a lot of people saw as a low ball price because Twitter was trading at $70 a share at that time, Since the deal was announced, Twitter stock has fallen, as has the entire stock market due to current economic conditions. But as soon as Elon announced that he was buying Twitter, the stock price has dropped. yeah. Right? Took a And so, absolutely. So as of closing Bell, Twitter shares, and I think this was yesterday or two days ago, Twitter shares were trading at around $37 a share. And some believe that this is a strategic effort on Musk's part to purchase the social media platform at a discount.
0: There's a at lot issue. of things that could be happening here.
1: Well, and that's kind of what we're getting into. So yeah. at issue is the legally binding agreement that both signs both sides signed that Musk would buy Twitter at the fifty four twenty a share. The merger agreement included a clause that if either side broke the deal, there would be a one billion dollar fee to the injured party. According to Anna Lipton, who is a business law professor at Tulane University Law School, merger and this is a quote from her, merger agreements are drafted to avoid exactly what Musk is doing, which is to try and find some tiny little false thing and then say, "Whoops, I get to walk away now." She also states that they specifically they specifically say merger agreements that you that you can back out, you can't back out unless it's not just false but incredibly false, hugely false, massively damaging to the company. Yeah. So Lipton feels that Twitter has a strong case against Musk due to the specific performance clause in the merger agreement. This clause stipulates that Twitter can take Musk to court and force the completion of the purchase as long as he still has financing in place. That's the other thing. Financing is the issue. A lot of people have been talking about this because his money is tied up in Tesla, which is also involved in a Delaware lawsuit seeking billions by Tesla's board in Delaware, um, SpaceX and its internet service Starlink, Starlink currently yeah. being used to fend off Russians invasion by Ukrainian military, startup Neuralink, is it? and the Total Yep, and the Tunnel Construction <laughs> Bar- Boring Company, which I just thought was a scream. So the funding for the purchase of Twitter would come from Musk borrowing money against against his Tesla shares as collateral. But again, that's kind of tied up in this lawsuit in Delaware because he bought a solar solar company under Tesla. And there was a whole lot of stuff because the board didn't want to do it. Musk did it anyway. That's kind of what that lawsuit is about. Um, Other experts feel that that taking Musk to court at this point could be damaging to Twitter. Morale is really down at the company at this point. Um, However, it's also being seen as a big risk for Musk. And the court battle itself could undermine the very company that he may be legally obligated to buy. So think about that. So that that's he's crazy. Twitter by going into the lawsuit, tanking the shares, and he's still legally obligated to buy it at fifty-four dollars a share.
0: Well, he might be. So we we're gonna have to wait to see how the the court rules. See I'm how not, that works out because I'm I'm not fully sure. And this has actually not really been litigated. It, whether or not the courts can force anyone to buy anything right um so that's well, th-
1: like it's kind of like those those agreements like when you enter into real estate
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what i mean if you have financing you can't back out of the deal you well, have to buy you, this house well you can or
0: back you- out of the deal but you pay a penalty and so okay, like what, like and the penalty in this instance is the 1 billion dollars right Um, which is really a drop in the bucket for, for someone like Musk, especially if, um, he was able to liquidate. So, so I saw, I saw something pretty interesting, um, out there kind of when, when I was looking into the story that some people actually believe that what Musk was actually doing was liquidating his shares in Tesla in a way that would not panic Tesla investors. Um, which that's if it, a whole story. which if that's <laughs> what he's doing like this is some 4d chess that he's playing
1: well the interesting thing is 17 hours ago um it was reported um that twitter has taken musk to court okay so they have mm-hmm. filed also to compel him to buy of course
0: he he was willing to or he his offer was Close to two times what Twitter was even worth at the time. That was before no, everything it, started no, tanking. He no. remember
1: he offered fifty-four a share, and at the time the shares of the company were seventy dollars each. So he lowballed that deal. Mm. When he announced, the shares started to fall.
0: Yeah, well, and the, the the economy started falling too around that around that same time. So we'll. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, this is really interesting. I think too many people place too much um, value on the the CEOs that run these organizations. Uh, let's keep in mind that... You know, there's large teams, uh, board members, ex- executives, and things like that that get to make a lot of the decisions um, for these platforms. And I think that uh, you know, especially when he announced that he was planning on purchasing Twitter, there was a huge tank in in the stocks uh, just simply because of some of the things that um, he, uh, you know, uh, well, Elon Musk. Do you had, remember the
1: reasons why he wanted to buy Twitter?
0: Well, let, let's see if any of those are true <laughs> now. I don't I honestly don't think he really ever had any proper intention on buying the platform. Um, That's just kind of that's just kind of me, especially if you think about it, too. If he takes if Twitter takes them to court, they need to like open up certain things to the public now um, right. that would not be open before. Um this could just be, uh, Elon just doesn't like the people at Twitter and doesn't, well, so has no no love for them, right?
1: What initially he said was he wanted to promote free and open speech on the service. That was what he initially said. Forbes is basically reporting that he's got some ulterior motives and that Musk wanted to assure he has clear access to promote himself and his vision of products in a very large kind of platform. So um but he also wanted to what was interesting was is he wanted to take Twitter which was a public company and he wanted to take it private so that he could then allow certain people who had been denied access to Twitter back on Twitter.
0: Well, I mean it, they don't need to take it private to do that. It, like in in all honesty, a board the board doesn't get to decide, or the, even the the shareholders they don't get to decide who's on and off the platform. Really, I mean they kind of do, but they they kind of well. Don't, you have community
1: right? standards, and and you know,
0: well, I mean those have been loosely applied across the realm for every platform uh, to 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 fit whatever they they feel fit. So uh, I, I find that to be kind of a, a generally loose argument, but. Um, I, I don't have my tinfoil hat on over this, uh, over this deal. Um, I don't think Elon ever had any proper intention on purchasing Twitter. Um, I, I think that he wins either way. Um, he wins if he needs to buy Twitter and he wins if he doesn't need to buy Twitter. Um, I think Elon Musk has already won off of this, which is pretty interesting.
1: Um, I, I don't know, because I think I think that it's showing a side of Elon Musk that, um you know he he wants to promote himself as this great savior to the world, you know, um with SpaceX and with Tesla, you know the you know the the electric cars that you know, saving the environment and all of these other things. But in this particular situation, you know, he signed this agreement. It did have a merger clause in it with a with an you know, with a, a very expensive escape clause in the merger portion of the agreement. And now he's basically stomping his feet and saying I shouldn't have to follow the rules. And I think that's giving of you know the public a, a peek behind the curtain at who Elon Musk really is. Um and I don't know that it's I don't know that it's good for Elon Musk.
0: I don't I don't I don't think he has a branding issue I think a, a lot of people herald him as um, you know uh, the, this huge figure um, larger than life and I don't think he's gonna lose that status over this I think his brand is intact as an individual um, and as a businessman Person, he's got absolutely too much money for people to ignore. So it's it's not like anything's... I don't really believe that there's going to be any negative fallback Uh, from this on a brand perspective for himself. I think if he ends up buying Twitter and is forced to buy Twitter, he owns one of the largest communication platforms on the planet. Um, and if he does not end up buying Twitter, he has done a really good job of tanking and killing one of the largest communication
1: platforms on the planet. But I think, but I think if he buys Twitter, yes, he will have one of the largest communication platforms, but does it turn into the next 4chan? Does it turn into, you know, a repository? Who
0: who feels the void too, right?
1: Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't know that he wins if he's if he's forced to buy it, and I don't. I think depending on how he chooses to run it, um, there may be a mass exodus from Twitter after he purchases. It just there, depends. There,
0: there definitely will be. It's without a question. Um, there's there's a lot of people that work at Twitter that don't want to see Elon as their CEO. So mm-hmm.
1: absolutely, and and some of that has been made public already as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So. Um, so that those were a couple of the news topics that we wanted to to cover. Um, now for a, a light segment, and I'm gonna have some like flashing visuals. I think in the future for our segment changes, um, Kelly, what was it that we called this segment again? Yep, I Saw that. Oh can't can't believe what.
1: I can't believe I saw
0: that. Can't believe I saw that. So, these, this is effectively marketing fails um, <laughs> across any <laughs> industry. Um, and so, I wanted to go ahead and, and talk about here um, a, a little something that uh, has been happening out in the zeitgeist. So, now I'm, I'm sorry, Kelly, because I, I know that you are a, a BMW fan. Laughing.
1: Because if if they had pulled this crap on my car, I'd have driven that thing right into the ocean. I'd have been just like, nope. So I don't, I don't even pay for the updates and the nav system in my car. Me right?
0: neither. My my I, car requires like wait. it's like 400 bucks, right?
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> Why would I do that when I can just use Waze for no. free? And Waze is more accurate. I don't have to update it every two years. Um, and, you know, Raul, we talked about this. I have a BMW, but I bought it. I always buy BMW program cars and their interest rate on their program cars can't be beat. It's like one point five percent interest rate, um, which was when I bought it. Um, And I ended up getting my X5 for less than Mike got his Honda CRV. Okay, and I love it. It's a great (laughs) car, drives great, wonderful car. But if they have told me I was going to have to pay a subscription fee to use my heated seats, I'd have told them to go pound sand.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, that—that that is so ridiculous. ridiculous. So, so let, let, let's actually inform the audience here. So it looks like uh, BMW uh, has attempted something and they attempted having a subscription for features on a car you already own. Um. So, uh, let me back up and say this. Actually, Tesla actually does this. So, Tesla Tesla already does this. So Tesla already does this uh, to a degree. So now I
1: know why I will never buy a Tesla.
0: But not necessarily for such small things as like heated seats. I don't think. Now I I'm gonna have to look that up. But, um. Uh, you could definitely like upgrade the speed and things to your to your vehicle. Um, you don't need to buy the top of the line vehicle um, if what you want to do is eventually upgrade into that down the line. Um, there are few skews that Tesla actually makes a, of their vehicles that then you can unlock performance through upgrades down the line. Um, so it, it's not too dissimilar to what's, Already going on in the marketplace, kinda, um, and then Apple also has a, a planned vehicle that they that they're getting ready to release. Maybe no time soon, but um, you you know very well that if Apple releases a car, there's going to be app subscriptions out the wazoo for that, right? Um, so, just this isn't completely unprecedented, but here's the thing, right? It is completely against BMW's brand. It is completely against BMW's it is, brand to
1: because, absolutely because BMW is all about, you know, feeling um, like feeling that you're cared for, being taken care of. You know, you go in to get your car serviced, and there's coffee and donuts. You know, they they call you by name. They know who you are. They know your car's history. I've never had, I mean, I had a great experience, um, with my BMW, um, with both. This is my second one. My first one was the convertible. And, um, you know, i walk into the BMW dealer. They knew me by name, you know, have a seat in our lounge, have a donut. Do you need a rental? You know, do you need a loaner car? What do you need? And, um, to me, this is just, you know, it's a what the absolute hell are you thinking? (laughs) You know, I wanted to use a stronger word there, but I'm trying to be, you know,
0: well, it's, it's, it's definitely a branding miss, right? Uh, People do not go to a BMW, um, to get nickel and dimed for every upgrade, right? If you're buying a BMW, if you're putting forward the money for a BMW, you want everything in the kitchen sink, at least from a branding perspective, right? Um, it does not make sense for then for you to paywall those those items behind that, a are, already monthly, built into your that car. are already in the car.
1: And, and that's just it. You have to pay for heated seats in your car. You they have exist. to pay they're there. for a heated steering wheel <laughs> they're, just to have they're it there. there. Yeah. Even if you don't want it, you have to pay for it because it's a feature that has been that has been added to your car. And then if they'd have said to me, oh, and by the way, if you want to use it, it's going to cost you $18 a month. I'd have been like, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> no, go kick rocks, right? rip yeah. it out, take yeah. it out, take I'm it not out. paying
1: for it. You can't make me pay for it to be installed on the car and then charge me a subscription fee. Beautiful. To use it. That's beautiful,
0: ridiculous. Beautiful, beautiful. This is such, uh, this is a misunderstanding of your brand. Um, the I fact think it's
1: that corporate greed run amok is what I think it is.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of times, we, you know, when when you have a misstep in your branding, um, a lot of times it stems from corporate greed, right? And in that, they've completely misunderstood their client base. Um, and if what they're trying to do is chase um like a uh, some Gen Z fad or something along those lines that everything has to be a subscription um that's not their target audience either so it it just it feels really odd to me that this is a decision that BMW decided to to a conscious decision a conscious
1: a, decision, a conscious <laughs> decision. That, hey, by the way, we're going to start charging our, our buyers a subscription fee to use features that they had to pay for because they're installed in their car. I mean, and now we're going to have to charge a subscription this, fee. This is completely Ridiculous. bizarre to me. Um,
0: it, it reminds me, I don't know if these are rumors or not, but of like airlines charging people to use the bathrooms, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's just completely so, bizarre to me.
1: So here's the thing, Roll. Back in the day when I was growing up, there were um, public lavatories that you literally had to put a nickel into before you could get into the door.
0: I I think there's still there's still some around there. There definitely were some in Europe when I lived out there.
1: But I mean, this was like any public like down the, you know, I I grew up in And you go to Ocean City, and you would literally have to have change to go use a changing booth or to use, you know, um, one of the pay lavatories or something. And they finally did away with all of that. And that's really good because there's nothing worse than putting your nickel in and the door doesn't open. You know, and it's like, that
0: was my
1: last nickel. So um, So
0: you just paid a nickel to soil yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
1: that's how old I am, right? Yeah. I'm so old I've actually had to pay to use the
0: bathroom. I um, again, I like I said I've seen those up in up in Europe and I think in in certain large cities they they have those in in general and I think that that's a, a an effort to keep certain people out of the bathrooms if I'm not mistaken. But um yeah, I mean it, it just this it this reminds me so much of stuff like that that it's this just this is so not BMW. There's nothing that says luxurious about having to pay a subscription to use heated seats you already own. Like none of that, none of that makes sense to me. So no. for me, this is kind of the, the, the largest marketing faux pas that I've seen in, in, in a little bit, completely not understanding your, your market and your brand. So
1: it's, it- it makes no sense to
0: me. So I can't believe I saw that. Yeah. I can't believe I saw that. either. <laughs> so, um, uh, normally here we'll, we'll have a, a, a spot where we'll ask the audience, um, Questions, um, you know, we'll, we'll have kind of like a frequently asked questions driven by you guys in the audience. Um, if you guys will leave a comment on this video with anything you guys want to know, uh, digital marketing or otherwise, we'll, we'll make sure to kind of sift through that. Um, and, and bring that up in, in the next kind of episode, I kind of, it feels pretentious for me to say episode, but, um, I mean that, that is what it is. So <laughs> the next episode of the, uh, of the podcast, um, and so we'll, we'll make sure to address any of those questions here. Um, but with, with that being said, uh, um, Kelly, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up for for today's um, first very first groundbreaking? We're going to convert this into an NFT um, episode <laughs>
1: of um, uh, the Sharpest that, I Show. I think one of the funny things is, is for the longest time, you know, speaking of NFTs and um, crypto and things like that, for the longest time, when I first came to Sharp Shell. Raul and some of our other associates would talk about how much money they made in crypto this week and, you know, the NFTs they were thinking about buying and all of that other kind of stuff. And I mean, literally on our staff meetings on Monday mornings, it would be like I would be sitting here. I would glaze over and start just reading the news (laughs) while they were talking about that because I just have absolutely zero interest in it. And I want to tell you that with all of the news lately on NFTs and crypto, um, there has been absolutely crickets about anybody um, dealing in crypto, talking about crypto. And I can't.
0: They froze my money. I have my money in Voyager um, right well, now, and, and Voyager. It, you know, yeah, they they locked Raul up all my money.
1: Raúl actually built his computer to mine crypto. <laughs> <laughs> How much mining have you done lately, Raúl? Uh,
0: not not a whole lot. Um, but admittedly, <laughs> I, admittedly, I actually kind of slowed down the, the mining operation um, uh, well before the the crash of, of crypto. It just. It got my office way too hot. (laughs) Uh, I felt like I was in a sauna over here. So, um, But yeah, guys, uh, thank you guys for joining. Again, please, any engagement that you guys want to throw our way. Again, we're going to be doing this weekly. comment on any of the articles, any of the stories. Uh, Let us know if there's anything you want us to change. I mean, this is uh, the first time that we're doing this, so I'd love to hear what everybody has to say. Um, I already know that both Kelly and I can't sit still for very long, which is why we're shaking our legs and our camera's always moving. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) with that being said, guys, um, thank you very much for, for tuning in and we'll catch you guys in the
1: next one.